There are two important things, significant things, life-changing things in any, in, in any city, in any state, in any nation. The two things that God placed in this world upon which all of society hinges are the family and the church. In other words, you think about it. Here's the family created by God, blessed by God, but we see the enemy constantly attacking the family. Then over here you see the church, the body of Christ, and how that it's constantly been under attack since Jesus purchased it with his own blood. But I can say to you with all the authority of God's word and with the conviction of my heart, as the family goes, a nation goes. And as the church goes, a city, a state, or a nation goes. Last week we looked at the family. But today we're going to look at the church. And I have a heavy burden on my heart that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ be the church of the New Testament. We're always looking for things to pattern ourselves after and examples. Well, if you want to know the church, what the church ought to be, what the church ought to look like, and what the church ought to do, then you read the New Testament. And you particularly read the book of Acts. You know, what is the New Testament church? What does it look like? What is its purpose and ministry in the world? I believe with all my heart, if the church in America was alive with the power of God, the moral climate of this nation would change, and the fear of God could come back to this land. I think we're looking to the wrong places for the restoration of people's lives and of moral values. We need to look to God and to the church of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, we get a tremendous picture of the church and what it's actually supposed to be like. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, now, this is the first church, okay? Peter had just preached on Pentecost, and he said, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, look at the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They knew what they believed. The reason they continued in the apostles' doctrine is they didn't have the New Testament. They only had the Old Testament. And now the New Covenant had been established by Jesus. And the New Testament was being written. And so they continued in what the apostles were teaching. They continued up steadfastly the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, that's fellowship, in prayer. The, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, that's worship. And in prayer, 
Then fear came upon every soul. The presence of God was in that was in the in in that church. I, I mean, as they worshipped, as they prayed, as they fellowshiped, as they studied, the fear of God, the power and presence of God came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things common. It says in verse 46, They continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, eating their food with gladness, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now that's just a little glimpse of the first church. Together, knowing what they believed, ministering to each other, worshiping God, and the power of God flowed through that early church. There's another beautiful example of, of, of what the church should be like. In Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8, you know, I, I love this. Where they, I think they went to Thessalonica. They did. And um, no, th- this is when Paul was persecuted persecuting the church. Saul was going all around persecuting the church, putting them in prison, and um, made havoc, and he he scattered the Christians, scattered them. So in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, and I want to look at another picture of of a New Testament church. Those who were scattered abroad, they were scattered everywhere because of the persecution. Went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitude was with one accord, the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits came crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. So we see uh, the first picture of the church is they, 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 they're continuing to remember what Jesus taught the apostles, and they're continuing to fellowship and minister to each other, and they're continuing to worship, and they are praying, they are praying. And then persecution comes, and they're scattered abroad, and what do they do? They go preaching the word, and God confirms it with signs and wonders. Then there's a great verse. Now, let me show you the influence of the early church. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Now, listen to how they describe. I wish this was true of the church of Jesus Christ today in Mobile and the church of Jesus Christ today in America and around the world. Listen to what it said about the church. That They went to Thessalonica, and Paul went in the synagogue and preached three Sundays in a row, three Saturdays in a row. And people got saved and people got changed and created an uproar. And so they wanted to, the Jews just got upset with them, wanted to put them in jail. But somehow they couldn't, uh, uh, didn't find Paul. But in verse 6, it says this of, of Acts 17. But when they did not find them, Paul and the others, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out. Now listen to this. Those who turn the world upside down have come here too. It just started out with about 40 people in the upper room. And then on Pentecost, the power of God came and 3,000 were baptized. And then all of a sudden, they're having such an impact 
that the rulers in Thessalonica say, listen, those people that have turned the world upside down are here. Hey, listen, that's what the church needs to be today. It's not how many you have, it's what kind you have. And it doesn't take an army to turn the world upside down because the church was small in number when they said, the people who've turned the world upside down have come here also. And what an awesome picture that is of the church and its ministry in the world today. Today I want us to look at three things about the church. Number one, the glory of the church. And if this gets into you, you'll be so thankful that you can be a part of a New Testament church. It's what I call the glory of the church. And then the second thing I want us to look at, at the message of the church. And it needs to be clear. It needs to be unmistakably spoken. There needs to be no misunderstanding or division about the message of the church. The glory of the church, the message of the church, and the ministry of the church. Now, what's the glory of the church? First of all, you need to understand that we are the body of Christ. It makes absolutely clear that every one of you in this place, in whom Jesus Christ lives, you are the ecclesia, that's the word for church. You're the ones who have been called out. See, the ecclesia means the called out ones. So who is the church? It's people who by the conviction of the Holy Spirit have been called out of the darkness into the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have been changed by Jesus, and now they're no longer in the darkness. They've been called out of the darkness and that Christ lives in them. Christ is their Savior and their Lord, and they are now the body of Christ. But also, the glory of the church is not only that you and I who are in Christ are the body of Christ, we're the bride of Christ. What a beautiful picture that Jesus is preparing. Jesus is the bridegroom, and he's preparing for himself a bride, and that bride is the church, and one day there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. But what a picture of Jesus Christ, hey, his body, the church, and his bride that he's preparing and that one day we'll spend eternity in heaven with him. What a great picture of the glory of the church. You know, uh, and we need to understand this about the church. The church belongs to Jesus. Did you know that? It belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to any man, any group of men. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He made that absolutely clear. In Matthew chapter 16, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. You see, it cost Jesus his very life for the church to come into existence. He had to be nailed to a Roman cross. He had to be mocked, ridiculed, his beard plucked out, spat in his face. He had to have the sins of the world placed on him. And he had to suffer and die and rise from the dead so he could have his church. We read over in, uh, in the book of Matthew Chapter 16, verse 13. All right, listen. The disciples had been with Jesus a while. They'd watched him now, maybe a year and a half. When, and this is verse 13. When Jesus came in the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, 
Who do men say that I am? Peter, James, John. What, what's, the, what's the word out there? Who are people saying that I am? Well, so, some said, well, some, you know, some are saying you're John the Baptist. Well, that'd be pretty remarkable because they'd cut John the Baptist's head off. But John made such an impact. They said, well, you know, you seem to move and have the power of John the Baptist. Some like Elijah. Well, what a picture. I, I mean, because we know what Elijah was and what Elijah did on Mount Carmel and how he was caught into heaven in a chariot. He said, some, some of you say you're Elijah. And then others said, well, isn't this interesting? They said, they say you're uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping, weeping prophet. But he said to them, okay, I know what people out there are saying, but I want to know what you believe. Who do you say that I am? Boy, that brought it right down personal. And I want to ask you a question this morning. If somebody asked you, who is Jesus Christ? You'd be amazed. You can ask somebody, who is Jesus Christ? Oh, he was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. He was a great leader. Oh, is that all he was? That's such an incorrect answer. They ask him, who, who do you say that I am? Now, Peter, who usually got it wrong, one time got it right. You know, Peter was the only person that always would stick one foot in his mouth and then change it and stick the other foot in his mouth. He always said the wrong thing at the, the, wrong thing at the, at the right time. So they said, who do men say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He could have said it any plainer, any better, any clearer. Oh, we, we know who you are. You're the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was spoken of in the Old Testament, the one that we've been looking for for all these years. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus answered and said to him, Simon Bar-Jonah. Notice what he called him, Simon, son of Jonah. He's fixing to change his name. He said unto him, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let me tell you something. You'll never really know who Jesus is until the Holy Spirit reveals it to your heart. Because the world will say, oh, he was a wonderful teacher. He was a wonderful miracle worker. Oh, he, 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 he raised the level of women and there is a statue in the world and all that stuff. But let me tell you something. That, that, that doesn't mean a thing until you get to the point. Let me tell you who he was. No, no, let me tell you who he is. He was God who became a man and lived among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father, full, uh, uh, the glory of the Father full of grace and truth. Listen, Simon got it right. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, human intellect and human people didn't make that known to you. Only my Father did. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then he changes Peter's, Simon's name. He says, and I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock of who I am. Somebody says, oh, Peter is the first pope. He was the first rock. No, no, no. You, what, does that say pope? It does not say pope. 
And you are Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of confession. Let me tell you what Jesus builds his church on. When people confess, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what he builds his church on. When people know who he is and openly confess who he is, he said, upon this rock, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here, I want you to listen. I will build my church. You know, uh, I, I pastored some smaller churches when I was um, first getting started, you know. And, and, and my first church had 30. And one time we got up to 50. I said, we're going to win the whole world to Jesus. I mean, it was unreal. We were on the radio, and I'd say, hello, world. No, I'm not just saying that. But, but really... I, I, I've I pastored all size churches, all kinds, every kind of community on the way to getting here. But somebody says, well, you know, well, Brother Fred, uh, my mother was in this church. My grandmother was in this church. My, uh, my daddy was in this church. This is my church. It is not. Where'd you see that? But you don't know. I've been a deacon here 40 years. It still ain't your church. Jesus said, I will build what? My church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the Lord of the church. He's the final authority of the church. And we listen to him and do what he says. And no man, this church owns to, belongs to no man. It belongs to the Son of God who purchased it and paid for it with his own blood on the cross. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church, and I love this, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand its charge, will not be able to stand its charge. And so we see the glory of the church. It is the church purchased and paid for by the blood of Jesus, and it is the church of which Jesus is the head and the Lord, and the church belongs to him, and the church is not bricks and mortar. The church is not programs and plans. The church are in, churches, individuals in whom Jesus Christ has come to live, washed their sins away, made them a new creation, and they are now following him, and they're part of his church. What church do you belong to? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I mean, what church do you belong to? Well, the church of Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, no, no, no. Give me a name. Well, I go to Luke 418 Fellowship. But I'm telling you, as a Christian, I belong to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his church, and I'm a part of his body. Well, the church is the, is, is, belongs to Jesus it's the body of Christ. Let me give a couple of verses. I'm going to move on out of this. In Romans chapter um, 12, I want you to look at this. It says the church is the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. Romans 12 and uh, verses 3 through 5. Somebody took Romans out of my Bible. Oh, here it is, Romans 12, 3 through 5. Listen to what it says. Did you know that, that if, you're, if you're, as a believer... As one in whom Jesus Christ lives, as one who, in whom Jesus has washed your sins away, put your old nature to death, given you a new nature in himself, you are a new creation in Christ, a new creation in Christ, do you, you understand that you belong to his church and that his church is his body? And in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 5, listen to what it says. 
For I say through the grace of God given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't be stuck on yourself and don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Think soberly, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, oh, we're in one body. Not all members, but all members do not have the same function. So listen to this. So we being many are one body in Christ. Individually, members one or of another. Well, you are in the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And he says that you are his body. And you are a member of his body. And, we used to, and, and, and every part of every member of the body is important. But the next thing he says is this is the glory of the church. It's the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, some people don't think the church is important. They say, you know, I mean, who needs the church? I can worship God on the lake just as well as I can in, in, in the church house. I mean, I mean, I don't have to go to church. No, you don't have to. But let me tell you one thing. I, I don't think my arm wants to go somewhere when my leg is going to go somewhere else. We're members of the same body, right? We, we're members of the same body. And, and so the body needs to be together. And that's why it's so important to be a member of a local church because that's a body of believers. But, but the church is not only the body of Christ, it is the bride of Christ. Man, that's a beautiful picture. The bride of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. One day he's coming back for his bride. Husbands, in, in, in Ephesians um, 5, 25, husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He's showing a picture here that the church is the bride of Christ. Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church, it's his bride, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Boy, look at this. Now, somebody said this to me the other day when we were in a prayer meeting, and he talked about Jesus not coming back from a, from a bridegroom with a dirty bride dress on, you know, with her hair all messed up and all that kind of stuff. Have you ever seen a woman with a, a bride that looked bad? I've never seen a bad-looking bride in all my life, never. Not, not one. They might try to be ugly, but they can't be ugly. I'm telling you, that was not nice for me to say that. I repent, Lord. All right, he says that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her, the church, the bridegroom, the, the bride. Listen, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church. Wow. In other words, we're not only, it's not only his church, and it's not only his body, but it's his bride, and he's working in his church that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He should be holy, that it should be holy and without blemish. Hey, listen, the church is a glorious organism. It is glorious. I mean, it is belongs to Jesus. He said, I'll build my church. It is his body. And you are a member, an arm or leg or an eye. You're a member of his body. And you are a part of his bride that he's going to present one day to the Father, a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. All right. The glory of the church also is seen that uh, the church is to give glory to God. 
in Ephesians chapter 3. It talks about that the church is to glorify God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. See, the church is not here just to be the church, to just meet and have programs and all those things are good, but we're here to glorify God now. It says in 3.20, Now to, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Let me tell you something. Let me just remind you, I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what your mountain is. I don't know what your difficulty is. I don't know what your heartache is. I don't know what you're going through. That looks impossible. But I want you to listen to what that verse said. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above we all we could ask or think according to his power that works in us. Get this. To him be glory in the church. The church is to give glory to God. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. A good question to ask ourselves. Are we acting and ministering and being the body of Christ, each member doing his part, the hand, the foot, the eye? Are, are we being the body of Christ? Are we being the bride of Christ who loves the bridegroom and is looking forward to the day when the bridegroom comes for, for us and we're, try, we, we're being sure that we're going to be without spot or wrinkle when he comes and without blemish? And do we realize that as a church we exist not for ourselves, but we exist to give glory to the Father through Jesus Christ? Man, that's the glory of the church. That's the glory of it. But there's one other thing that really gets me excited. And in Ephesians chapter 2, get this. Now, if this doesn't excite you, then your exciter's burned out. I mean, this, this, I'm telling you now, this, is, this to me just makes me so excited about being a member of the church. I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's awesome. People just don't understand what a blessing it is to be a part of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 2, 19. Now, therefore, you're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. But you're fellow citizens with the saints. Hallelujah. We're all in the same family. We're all in the same kingdom. We're fellow citizens with the saints. We're members of the household of God. What a picture of the church. Not strangers, not foreigners, fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. And boy, have we got a good foundation. Look at verse 20. You've been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone of the church. But oh, this is where it gets good. In whom the whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, you were a stranger. You were a foreigner. You were lost. You weren't a member of the household of God. But Jesus saved you. And now you're not a stranger and you're not a foreigner. You're a member of the household of God. And you know what God is doing? He's building you, all of us together. He's building all of us together. Now, what is he building us together for? Do not miss this. He's building us all together in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple 
of the Lord. You say, well, where are you going Sunday? I'm going down to the temple. Well, there ain't no temple. Well, you know, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it says spiritually, Luke 4.18 is a holy temple in the Lord. Well, that's what it says. We're all being fitted together into a holy temple in the Lord. Are you ready for verse 22? In whom you're being built together, in whom you, that's you, that's you, are being built together for a dwelling place of God. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Jesus calls us out of the world and he saves us? And we become a part of his body and a part of his bride. And we're no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're members of the household of God. And God is building us all together for a place where God can dwell. Now, God, God, does, God does not dwell in this building in the sense that I'm talking about. You know when God dwells? When you come together as a, a child of God and I come together as a child of God. When the church comes together as children of God, saved people gathered together in Jesus' name, and we came here this morning to worship God, to honor Jesus Christ. We came here because we are children of God. He said, you know what? You know what God has done? He made you into a holy temple where God can dwell. You know why I want to go to church? Because God said he's going to be there. <laughs> I could announce some big celebrity is going to be here Sunday. We probably could fill this place up. I don't need that. God's here. What else do I need? You say, Brother Fred, I'm looking for something. He's here. The living God. He never promised to inhabit anything but the church. Nothing else. He said, I'm going to make you a dwelling place where I live. And God lives in his people. And he lives among his people. And I'll tell you, I'd rather be in the house of God and with the people of God than any place on the face of this earth. Well, I don't know if I'm going to go to church today or not. Well, if you don't want to be with God, stay home. But I lose an hour of sleep. Well, if you want to miss God, stay home. I don't want to miss a service. You never know when God's going to show up in an unusual way. You know, he that you seek will suddenly come to his temple. I want to be there when he comes. Man, he, it's a glorious church. But let me go on quickly and talk to you. I'll get to my main point. We're going to be out of here by 10 to 11. You say, I do not believe it. Well, I want to show you. Because we've got a Bible study that follows. I want to go and talk about the message of the church. The church has one message. Can I tell you what the message of the church is? Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. -S, Jesus. And I want to show you this in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. What did the early church preach? What did they preach? Did they preach how to win friends, win friends and influence people? Did they read, uh, preach how to solve your marriage problems? I mean, I'm all for that. But I want to know what they preached. What did they preach? Acts 2, 36 through 38. All right, here we go. It says here in, in verse 36, Peter's preaching. The same Peter that denied him, the same Peter that cursed and said, I didn't know him, 
But then Peter got filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you're changed. Did you know that? It says here, therefore, listen to Peter preaching. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, you, you crowd that crucified him. I want to tell you something. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Boy, you couldn't say it any plainer than that. He said, y'all put him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead. And let me tell you who he is. He is Lord, and he is Christ. He's made this same Jesus, Lord and Christ. And, and the Bible says in verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, men and brethren, what must we do? What? And he said, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ as evidence of remission of sins. Over in Acts chapter 4, you want to see the message of the church? Look at verse seven, verses 10 through 12. See, there was a clear message. It was a clear message. I, I'm fixing to get in trouble here in a minute in something I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Acts chapter 4, 10 through 12. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Let me tell you something. The message of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has many facets, but it always has to come back to this, that Jesus Christ was crucified and died on the cross for our sin because we were sinners, wicked, and separated from God, and that God accepted his sacrifice and that God raised him from the dead. And as the living Christ, he is alive with the power to forgive and the power to save and the power to change and there's salvation in no other person or in no other thing. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And let me tell you right now, Jesus is the only way to be saved and is the only way to become a child of God. There is no other. It's not in a church. It's not in some unique belief. It's in a person. And that's Jesus Christ. Somebody the other day was talking about in the break room at lunch, they were talking about, somebody said, well, I don't like religion. And this person who is a Christian said, I don't like religion either. They said, good, but I love Jesus. They said, that's religion. It is not. It's a relationship. Well, that was a good answer, wasn't it? Let me tell you something. You, you, you tune in, and they're telling you how, how you can improve you know, you can do it when it going gets tough, the tough gets going, and how that you can, you can make it, you can do it, and they give you all these kind of things that you, you're, 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 you're a winner. I'm not a winner. I'm a loser without Jesus. Guess what? I can't make it without Jesus. Listen, if, there's, if it's a self-help message, self-help, self-improvement, you can do it. It is not the gospel. It is not the gospel. The gospel is, without Jesus, you can do nothing. What part of nothing don't you understand? Let me tell you, the message of the church is Jesus Christ 
virgin born, sinless lived, sacrificially died, triumphantly risen, and gloriously coming again. And the hope of this world is in Jesus Christ and nobody else. And that's the message of the church of Jesus Christ. And why, why don't people just preach that? They say, well, i got to say something slick or something new or something entertaining. Bull, that's just your personality. They don't need what you've got to say. They need Jesus Christ. And the only way they're going to get Jesus Christ is for you to tell, him who he, tell them who he is. And without him, they don't have any hope. Well, the message of the church is unmistakably clear. Paul said, I delivered unto you that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day, 1 Corinthians 15. And then Romans 10, 8 through 10 says, for neither is that Romans 10, 8 through 10. Let me read it. I was fixing to quote the wrong verse. Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? This is the message of the church. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What part of that don't people understand? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the Lord, over, the same Lord is over all and rich to all. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you something. You can talk about how Jesus can save your marriage. And you can talk about how Jesus can give you the wisdom and the strength to work in your job. How that Christ in you is, 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 is you can do anything through Christ who strengthens you. You can do that, but you better keep Jesus in the center of the message. And you better be, keep telling people, without him, you'll not overcome temptation. Without him, you'll not be able to live a holy life. Without him, you will never be what God saved you to be. You sound like Jesus is everything. He is everything. You say, well, I need something beside Jesus. You're messed up. I'm telling you, I've been at this 58 years. And if you keep focused on Jesus, you'll make it. But if anybody gets you sidetracked after some doctrine or some gift or some other thing, if they get you sidetracked, you are going to be in big, big trouble. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm not looking anywhere else. You're narrow-minded. I'm worse than that. I'm Jesus-minded. It makes me mad when people start telling people that they can do it. And they're out there trying to do it. They can't do it, y'all, until they get Jesus in their heart. Man, don't mislead people. Don't tell them to try harder. They've been trying harder all their life. Only Jesus can set them free. Well, I'll talk about the ministry of the church. I've talked about the mess. I've talked about the glory, and I've talked about the message. The Bible says we're salt and light. Matthew five thirteen through fifteen. 
All right, now we're salt and light. Matthew 5. Let me read it. And see, that's why next Sunday we're going to have people sharing Jesus. Show us how we can let our light shine and show us how we can be salt. That's all it is, people sharing Jesus. Matthew 5, 13 through 18. Now listen to this. He didn't say this to the House of Representatives. He didn't say this to the Senate. He didn't say this to the Supreme Court. He didn't say this to the executive branch of government. He didn't say it to the Lions Club and the Optimist Club. I I mean, mean, I'm, I'm not being critical, but let me tell you what he said. You know who he said this to? The church. You. He said this to you. He said this to me. And I could never be this without Jesus. Listen to what he said. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith it be salted? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Okay, Jesus, so the church is the salt of the earth. You know what you do with salt? It stops decay. You know, before they had refrigeration, you know how they preserved meat? They put salt on it. They just salted it down. I mean, just salted it down. Now, now, now you, you die of salt poisoning, but at least they salted it down so it wouldn't decay. That's why we got this country ham that's so salty. You know, they, they, they just salted it. And they can hang it up in the, in, in, in the cracker barrel, and it can hang there, and it'll hang there forever, and it ain't going to decay. That's why I eat it all the time. I love that stuff. Salt stops decay. Jesus said this society is going to morally decay unless the church is the salt. And then he said, you're the light of the world. Men are, going, are in darkness. You know, he said, in society, people are going to be morally decaying, but I'm putting you in the world as salt. And you're going to stop the decay by the life you live and the message you preach. And said, I'm going to tell you another thing. You're the light of the world. And, and, and you're going to shine into the darkness. You're going to penetrate the darkness. He said, now, whatever you do, don't you let the world make you put your light under a bushel. They're going to say, Christians, keep your light in the church. Christians, don't get involved in society. Don't get involved in the public domain. Don't get involved in politics. Don't do this. Don't do that. What they're saying is, put your life under a bushel. I got news. We're not going to do it. Under no conditions will we put it under a bushel. We're going to put it on a bigger candlestick so everybody can see it. You know why people want you to hide the light? Because the light penetrates the darkness and it makes them nervous. He said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And then he said it, let your light shine. By your life and through your lips, let your light shine. You go out there and you be salt in your office and and there's not going to be as much moral decay because they know there's a Christian there. And you go to school and you be light in your classroom and there's going to be a lot less wickedness because they're going to know there's some light in the classroom. Have you ever noticed how in a lot of places when they find out you're a Christian, the conversation changes and the direction goes in a different way, especially when they find out you're a preacher. Oh, Oh, you're a preacher. Boy, I mean, that's amazing how they get a new language. 
Now they want to talk about other things. I don't ever tell them. I just want to listen to what they got to say. (laughs) Do you see what the church is? We're the only hope, folks. You say, Brother Fred, that's crazy. No, it's not crazy. That's God. He said, you're the light of the world, and you're the salt of the earth. And and if you don't let your light shine before men, they're not going to see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And you know what he said? Gosh. If the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be trodden under the foot of men. It breaks my heart how the world mocks, laughs at, and ridicules organized religion. But I'm going to tell you something. Organized religion is not the church. The church is made up of men and women who may be in any church or any denomination who believe the Word of God, but who are born again by the Spirit of God. And I'm telling you, organized religion, the world mocks it at it, laughs at it, has no respect for it, and tramples it under the foot of men, just like the salt that's lost its savor. And organized religions put its life under a bushel, put its light under a bushel, because it doesn't, it doesn't want to, it wants to be politically correct and doesn't want to offend anybody. Let me tell you what you ask you one question. What are you going to do, offend people to hell number two? Where are you going to offend them to? Do you realize what a privilege we have? We're nobody without Jesus. We're nobody without Jesus. But in Christ, we're light. Let your light shine before men. And in Christ, we're salt. We can stop some of that moral decay that's going on around us. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This world is in darkness, and it hates it, the light. Did you know that? You know, it's not easy to be a Christian. You say, well, I don't have any trouble because I don't ever tell anybody. Well, no, well, I don't guess you do. But you make it known that you're a serious follower of Jesus Christ. You believe the Bible and every word it says in it. You believe everything the Bible says about marriage. You believe everything the Bible says about holiness. You believe everything the Bible says about drunkenness. You believe everything the Bible says about purity. You believe everything the Bible says about love and forgiveness. Listen, this world doesn't like the light. Man, over in John chapter 3, in fact, it says they love the darkness. They love it and won't come to the light. In John chapter 3... Listen to what it says. And this is the condemnation, verse 19. Light has come into the world, Jesus, and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Did you know if you're a Christian, you make unsaved people uneasy? (laughs) They really don't like to be around you. They really don't. You make them uneasy. Men love darkness Rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil. Get this. They hate the light. Don't expect people to clap every time and give you an applause when they know you're a Christian. Whoopee, we've got another Christian in the crowd. Uh Uh-uh. That's not good English. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. The light shines on their wickedness. 
But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. You know, we're salt, we're light. But let me tell you what we got to do, and I'm through. One, we have to, by our lips, share our faith in Jesus Christ. As God gives you opportunity, and he will give you opportunity. I was thinking about Philip. He was in the middle of revival in Samaria. And the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, there's a man out there in the desert, an Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading the Bible and he doesn't understand it. Go out there and tell him about it. <laughs> and Philip did. Now, let me tell you something. God, God's already got people in your life. You've already got people in your life that, that, that they need to hear about Jesus. And listen, you can, you can share Jesus with them without beating their brains out and condemning them, without manipulating them or threatening them. You just need to find a way to share Jesus with them. And that's why next Sunday we're going to talk about people sharing Jesus. How's a good way? How can you share Jesus in the marketplace? How can you share it with family members? How can you, We need to know how we can just be uh, open with our lips and share Jesus. And we've got to do that. There's no How shall they hear without a witness? But also we've got to share him with our life. If you don't live it, keep your mouth shut. You've got to show it by your life. Philemon 1.6 says, be, be ready to share your faith effectively with others. 1 Peter 5 says, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Could you right now, if somebody asks you, Share Jesus in a way that they could understand and could come to know him and be saved. Could you do that? You say, I don't believe I could, Brother Fred. Well, I understand. But, man, that's why you need to get that book on the back called People Sharing Jesus. That's why you need to be here next Sunday as, as we do it at 930 and 11, then at 4 to 6. It's how to share Jesus. You say, well, I can give my testimony. That's one way. But there are other ways. Folks, listen. How can they hear without a witness? Acts 1.8, this is it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. You're not a witness unto Luke 4.18. I hope you tell people you love your church and invite them to come. You're, not a wit you're a witness unto Jesus. In the power of the Spirit, you are to say and speak the name of Jesus. And then the Spirit of God will teach you how, by your lips and by your life. How shall they hear without a witness? And how shall we witness except we are sent? 